What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. What is good, fam, token fam? Hey, listen, it's your boy Sanchez. Thank you so much for listening, tuning in, subscribing. I hope that you guys are getting these notifications. We're about to ramp up our season. Uh, In the meantime, Cedric and I are taking a few weeks to prep and plan. Uh, We've been busy wrapping up the summer, getting ready for school, all all of that stuff you guys know about. So all that to say is we're excited about what's coming and we can't wait to share that with you. But in the meantime, we're gonna kick it back to a few of our favorite episodes. Uh, we've taken some time to just go. We realized like we've, we've released a ton of content. And so some of the quality may vary because some of it we recorded during COVID, some of it was pre-COVID. So you'll hear some old music, you'll hear all of those things. However, we just want you guys to have some content because we do feel like a lot of what we've said on this podcast is heavy, but necessary and needed. And maybe some of you are new to the podcast and you haven't had the opportunity to really see our journey progress. And maybe you've missed out on some of these key and good conversations we've had. So anyways, mainly through just uploading on SoundCloud and, and Spotify and iTunes. Um, had a really great response. And, and then, you know, technology came in the picture and we were Zooming occasionally, but with COVID, we really uh, found more value in just FaceTime or Facebook, going live on Facebook. Um, and so we've been able to really, really expand our audience. And a lot of, I know friends of mine, uh, they weren't even following the podcast. So now they're, they're starting back at season one, but they're, they've been able to engage in these conversations and just hear perspectives uh, from people that are um, not necessarily in our circles, um, and, and, but people that are experts in the topics that we are, we're discussing. Um, you know, I think we all know and understand at this point that there are a lot of gaps within, uh, especially in American history, and so what we're trying to do is 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 really um, bring different perspectives and, and, and try to encapsulate the, the truth and the totality of that history and then see how this impacts us um, and, and as we seek to be uh, anti-racist and, and fight against that. So Cedric and I both have that token story of being the exception to the rules, which, again, I'll, I'll say this every week. It still bogs me and bothers me that white people don't think I, I know what they're thinking. 
<laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like right. they just, they want, they want to argue with me as if I don't know what they think and believe. Like, yeah. like here's the thing. Yeah. I know your side. I read your books. I've listened to your podcast. I, I was trained in your schools. Trained yeah. in your school. I was trained. Yeah. Yeah, trained in your in your seminaries and Bible colleges. Yeah, still still in there right now. But I also have this other side. So we're trying to collectively uh, hybrid the two and bring perspective that most people uh, don't have proximity to. Um, mm-hmm. But but also we are safe places for uh, people, and then also healing for 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 many African Americans or black people, however, however political you want to be, uh, yeah. that, that resonate with our story, you know, that, that have been traumatized by racism in various ways and by the lack of representation and history and, um, historical accuracy on our, on mm-hmm. our trauma and on our, and how we've been, you know, marginalized. So, so anyways, yeah. welcome to Token Confessions. Thank you for so, having me. I thought this was amazing. I, like I said, I follow Cedric on Facebook and mm-hmm. I'm always in love with his posts because he is very direct in a way that I feel like is palatable for other audiences. Um, mm-hmm. And my directness can be a little rash. So sometimes I don't post, but I will comment under yours. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. Now, tokenism for me is a little bit different because I I come from a predominantly black environment. Um, My school was all black. My teachers were all black. Um, My city's, I'm from Memphis. It's predominantly black. So tokenism was, I didn't hit it until the working world in college. And that was a rude awakening. What was that transition like? Mm, Yeah, my first year in Nashville as an 18-year-old freshman at Tennessee State, I remember going to the Opry Mills Mall. And the first time I walked in, I won't lie, the first thing I noticed was how many interracial couples there were. And I was like, I am in the twilight zone. Mm -hmm. And then just seeing so many interracial kids and then just seeing so many white people. Um, In Memphis, I can literally go places and I see any white people um so coming to nashville was like a legitimate culture shock and i remember when i got my first job um it was really interesting for me to start dealing with white people on a regular basis and then having to eventually let that guard down and say no this is how i talk and this is what i listen to and honestly having to realize that all white people aren't racist it was like the biggest revelation of my 20s yeah, yeah, yeah. My my tokenism started. Um, I would say probably really in uh, probably really in in mid high school um, when we changed schools. When I changed schools and um, and I didn't know it. You know, for me, just being outgoing, uh, being involved in in a lot of different things. Um, and then again, it was one of those like eye-opening revelations. I don't think I realized I was being, I was a token until, um, my early twenties. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time in Nashville, you know, and I spent a lot of time in, um, not only black community, but also like, like interracial community. My church was one of the bigger interracial churches in the South. And, you know, that was kind of my experience in, uh, from there, you know, I've been on this journey of racial identity, of, of developing that, obviously under the umbrella of being a child of God, no no doubt, but mm-hmm. I'm a child of God who is created uniquely yeah. and, and intentionally uh, black, and there's nothing wrong with that, you know, and so um, 
So yeah, it's always it's always interesting as to how we arrive to these things because again, like you like you just said, it's it is that like aha moment, like whether it's for you, like white people aren't racist, you know, like like there are some cool ones. Like for mm-hmm. me, it was like, yo, no, man, there are some really racist white people. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was just i was super naive and, and i don't mean that uh disrespectfully and again i'm not i'm not generalizing because this is yeah. an individual thing right yeah, uh, yeah however the generalization comes into the systemic issue yeah. of racism racism right so so now now tell us about that for you with your your job and, and you know you worked on a plantation and you study research and you're you're inept in this plantation history again i'm getting to know you and i'm, I'm putting the pieces together yeah. um, but, but tell us about that journey oh it was it was actually really really good i won't lie um i was able to get on at a plantation museum that was forward thinking and trying to so when i got there there was a different set of leadership there than what is there now and when i first arrived and it's the Bellmead plantation and I got there and they had this project, which was called Journey to Jubilee. And they were beginning to do like preliminary research on who were the enslaved as people. You know, they were trying to go beyond the, we know you were a housekeeper. We know you worked with the horses. Like we, we get what you did, but who were you as a person? And I was fascinated by it. Mm. Um, but I came in as an entry level historic interpreter. So like fancy name for a tour guide, bottom level. I have no say so whatsoever. And I got pregnant and left. I got back in school, um, tried to teach. And it was just thing after thing was like, this isn't working for me. And something inside of me was like, go back to Bell Mead. And I just so happened to go back at a time when they were looking to take Journey to Jubilee to the next level. And I came in and literally told who was going to become my boss to her face that if I come back, I want to do this and I want to do this well. Mm-hmm. And I was back the next Monday. And it just kind of went from there. Um, We've had, I won't even say they were issues, but I think they're like learning curves because I was the only black person on staff for so long until we began actively seeking black people to come work there. Um, And I think a lot of it had to do with just, we've never had a black person in this role there had been a few black people to be interpreters, but it, I don't think it was enough or for a long enough period for them to like adjust to what that meant. Um, so when it came down to, for example, when I first started, we dressed in period costume. <laughs> but I have I love living interpretation. However, I don't have the ability to do it um, because I know how ignorant some people can be. And um, I'm trying to say this in a nice way. If you come at me crazy, we're going to have some problems. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I would just rather not. So I'm not dressing as an enslaved person. So I would pretty much have on the dress of a wealthy white woman in the 1870s, 1880s. Mm. So mm. underneath these braids is a big fro. So how are we going to do this pinup? updo with the fro and the braids because it was just issues that they had never had to deal with before and um that was probably like the first time that i was like huh i'm black here okay yeah okay and then um of course the awkwardness of giving a tour of a plantation home as the only black girl that works here was its own set of 
I had to really be confident stepping out there onto that front porch every day because I can guarantee you that nine times out of ten, the 25 white people sitting on the porch was not exactly waiting on the black girl with the braids to come to the door like 1030 tour. Um, So learning curves. So I learned that my tour couldn't be overtly political. I had Mm. to say what I had to say through jokes and I had to Dave Chappelle it and (laughs) it worked. It worked. It was a hit. It was a sensation. Right. But then you get tired of having to say, so when the Confederate flag, to keep us on topic, when that argument first started, like 2016, I was working at Bell Mead. Mm -hmm. And you just got this influx of people who probably had never owned a Confederate flag shirt a day in their lives. Now, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, every white guy to come through the doors had a Confederate flag shirt on. Mm -hmm. And in yeah. that moment again, I realized I'm black because yeah. not only did I have to realize I was black, my white coworkers who had built bonds and relationships with me and through my transparency through time had to realize my coworker is black. Mm-hmm. How does this make her feel? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, I learned that my presence alone is learning for some people. Yeah. Everyone, everyone can't be taught to be anti-racist through a class and through a DNI training. Some people really just need black people in their life. Yeah, facts, facts. Now, no, I want to, I want to pause right there, real fast, because you're hitting on something that culturally I don't think people are aware of, and mm-hmm. that's the stigma of how black women have to present themselves, especially publicly and and definitely on TV. Mm-hmm. Fair, uh, lighter skin. Mm-hmm. straight hair, whether it's your, mm-hmm. your weave is straight, whether it's you got that perm in there or whatever the case may be. Now, these are cultural things. Now, now speak yeah. to that as a black woman of what that does to your identity when you're you're being forced to essentially choose whether or not you're going to be the outlaw mm-hmm. uh, and, and not do this, you know, or you're going to actually uh, assimilate to the, the norm. It was a long road. So I, um, my father worked for the military during my childhood and we lived on Fort Benning down in Columbus, Georgia for about six years. Mm-hmm. And that environment was definitely not all black. And the first time that I, that I began to realize I was black and like how I looked was probably about third grade. And I had pretty much like my best friend at the time was a white girl named Riley. And I love Riley to death, but I couldn't understand why my hair didn't do what Riley's hair did. So and that was in the time of the pressing comb. And yeah, I would get yeah, my hair washed. You know about the pressing comb. <laughs> and I would tell my mom, I want my hair to just hang. And she would be like, what does that even what mean? mean? <laughs> what do you mean? And I was like, I just want it to hang. I just want it straight. And she would be like, baby, no, your hair, if I send you as a third grader to school with straight pressed hair, it's going to come back not looking the way that you left. And I couldn't get it. And I would cry. And now I'm very proudly natural. And I love my fro. I love my braids. And I've learned that if they make you uncomfortable, it has nothing to do with me. Yeah. 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 And I I think that's very, very important because, you know, I I even think about that now with my two biracial boys. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, like everybody's like, oh, man, like they're just fascinated with the texture or or even my hair. I just got to dread it. Like, yeah, it's like you're 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 like a a figurine in a museum. Like, yeah, it's it's, it's 
so not. And you know what I'm saying? Like that's, that's an issue. And I, I believe we've talked about that, but, um, but even like the differences of like, uh, I was watching, uh, maybe it was like mixed dish and, you know, it's biracial girl, black friends, and they're trying to teach her about her hair because she's just yeah. completely naive. Yeah. And she doesn't, she doesn't wrap her hair up for, uh, for gym class. <laughs> And she gets out of jail because the sweaty is, is a fro. Um, but, but you know, it, it does impact how people viewed, like view her, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And she, you know, the whole show is about identity, right? Like, yeah. So um, now, now going back to the plantation and being the only one, like, how did it make you feel with given this history and the perspective that people were coming in with on this history? Like, how did you navigate that, that journey? I was scared at first. I won't lie. Um, I think my mom was scared. My daddy was scared. Uh, but I had this history degree and I had to figure out what I was going to do with it. And um, I initially, like I said, I started by inserting humor into the parts that I found uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So when I had to talk about the so Susanna Carter was the head of domestic staff. And when I had to talk about her, I would frame her story in the context of well the owner of this plantation basically I'm going to crack enough jokes on the white slave owning family that I can swallow the fact that I am also telling this story mm -hmm. yeah. so I'm going to talk about the enslaved and I'm going to talk about them with respect and I'm going to talk about them with reverence but I'm going to also point out the flaws of this white family as well, because I feel like they have been painted with this picture perfect brush for the past 400 and however long years. Yeah. So what I'm not going to do is only look at the people who look like me as, as these, as this property, as right. if that is all that they were and that it was all that they could have, have achieved. And then, well, the poor slaves. And then here's this great white man who, did so much good for this state, but yet this great white man owned my ancestors. Something about this just doesn't add up to me. And I had to, I had to do that through, through humor. It was the only way that I could do it. And it could be digestible to my audience. Yeah. It's the only way you could do it and not cry in the process yes, right. to keep from, from crying. Yeah. 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 Your, your story is resonating on so many levels. Like even hearing you say that it's the choice between giving the gone with the wind version and giving the 12 years of slave version. Mm, I think yeah. the 12 years of slave version is important to understand that it gave multiple depictions of different slave owners. You have yeah. one like yeah. Benedict Cumberbatch who was actually compassionate. Yeah. And yeah. like actually was so much closer to actually recognizing the humanity but right. only of the one that was exceptional amongst the slaves. Yeah. yeah. Whereas you had uh, Michael Fassbender, who all of them are property. Yep. All of them are his. He can yep. do whatever he wants with them. Yep. And so that tension that exists within that, that is completely absent of a, say, gone with the wind. But heck, I mean, even being... You know, the, 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 the token black pastor in, in white evangelical spaces, I used humor all the time mm -hmm. without even realizing I was doing it until later. Just mm -hmm. to, like, remind everybody that I'm the only black face in this space, 
I'm okay with it. And I'm yeah. okay with okay it. That's yeah. what a lot of it is. It's letting them know that I, I know in case nobody else could see, I, I know I'm black. And I would definitely, like my introductory joke <laughs> would always, one of them would be, you know, I'm a black girl giving a tour of a plantation. So people would ask, uh, is it haunted? That's what it was. I would always get that question. Is it haunted? And I'd be like, hey, I'm a black girl giving a tour of a plantation. And if they ain't said nothing to me, then I think we all right. No, just the tension. You could like the laughter that would explode. You could say like every, it was like the elephant in the room. Right. You released a pressure valve for them. Cause yeah. they're all thinking it, but in yeah. this day and age where the, the, it was colorblindness was seen as a virtue. So yeah. a lot of people, I know they get defensive when we tell them we don't want you to be colorblind or colorblind isn't really a thing, but right. part of it, I, I, I sympathize because they've been told that it's a virtuous quality to have. Yeah. What they don't realize is that the colorblindness is a way of erasing our place in these stories. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's like, not an intentional thing, I don't think. I think it was right, me no. initially for like a positive reason. You know, I don't see color, I see the person. However, you can't see my person without seeing my color because my color dictates my story in so many cases. Right. And my story makes up my perspective. So when you don't see my color, you deny my perspective. Right. Which yeah. I always use this example and longtime listeners would, would have heard this one before, but my wife is Scottish. And as mm -hmm. soon as she speaks, you hear her accent. Nobody mm -hmm. claims to be tone deaf now, right? <laughs> That's what, so true. But what happens is, is they hear her accent. They recognize it's not American. They immediately start thinking through what they've heard. And you give me the timeout signal. What's up? How can you be colorblind but see black on black crime? Ooh, you too loud. You too loud. See, see, see. Now you had to go. You had to go there. But uh, <laughs> hey, all crime is crime, Sanchez. <laughs> see, but uh, we got no comeback. I wasn't prepared. <laughs> it's but so now you know, maybe lose my train of thought. But yeah, they, they hear her accent and they immediately know it's the UK. Mm -hmm. It's not English. It's either Scottish or Irish. Mm -hmm. And all of that brings out this curiosity about her unique story and how it's different. And right. for those of you, I hope what you hear in that is that may your seeing color lead you to the same kind of curiosity. Mm -hmm. That's about mm -hmm. getting to know a person more and their story instead of trying to fit them into mm -hmm. the story that you've always been told. Right. Yeah. I like to call it, you know, Negro exceptionalism, right? Like that's, that's the boys. Right. So, so for me, even, even in light of all of this, like I'm starting to figure out when, when, and maybe I can just like speak to myself and, and maybe some friends that I have, there's like this denigration of yourself to make white people comfortable. In the oh, process. Yes. Like, oh, you know yes. what I'm saying? Like you, you said, and I didn't want to generalize that, but you know, with, with post-traumatic slave syndrome, as a as a theory that I'm working through, that's one of the the, the behaviors that we model uh, to protect ourselves. Like you yeah. said, you, you have to laugh to protect yourself from the mm -hmm. reality. So we have to denigrate ourselves to protect mm -hmm. ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so these are like patterns that we have adapted, whether we call it 
token disclaimers or, or, or whatever the case did may be. Or my father being super country, just call it as simple as you out there tap dancing for them white folks. Mm. And I, what can you say to that? <laughs> Literally. But, but you, you said but, it to me. I was like, "How old is this phrase?" First of all, because who's tap dancing? But <laughs> <laughs> Gregory Hines been dead. <laughs> but it, it's the it's the same sentiment, though. Right, you know, yeah. we are entertaining in efforts to educate because yeah. to educate on racism is uncomfortable. To exactly. accept education on racism has to be even more uncomfortable. Because so I I try to do this thing where. I'd like to put myself into your shoes and I like to see through your eyes as best as I can. If I was a 28 year old white girl who was probably not born with much, if I literally was a white girl that comes from the same economic background as I come from as a young black girl and all of a sudden people are talking about, I have privilege and I've never heard that I have privilege before because all I know is that my parents didn't have no money and I went to school on student loans too and I, my brother died and my sister was in there. You know, if I had the same story, yeah. but I was white, I probably wouldn't grasp the concept of white privilege. Right. Imagine how uncomfortable that has to be to be somewhere out of nowhere and people are like, oh, you know you're privileged just because you're white. However, the issue still remains that you do have this privilege and you do need to educate yourself on it. Right. And, 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 and so many people who talk about white privilege can't even begin to tell you the historical origins of it. And so white privilege, the phrase ends up getting weaponized instead of used to help educate. Right. Which, again, right. is why I, I appreciate the work that you do. Um, you know, because that that history aspect is so important because then it's not it's not this thing where white privilege is then received as this thing that it's their fault. They're doing and they're like the mastermind of this thing. Right. It's it's really just like this is a historical event that happened and helped shape our country when yeah. our founding fathers said we the people and didn't mean all the people. Yeah, you can't include property in that. <laughs> or, or people, people who have dark souls that that aren't really considered human beings. So, right. So, and I think that kind of um, uh, disqualifies the argument for me um, in a lot of ways that that people try yeah. to present, especially with trying to preserve history and like even the Confederacy. Um, you know, my my issue is not with my country and having a love for my country. It's the fact that my country does not acknowledge, nor does it in it does not acknowledge the history that is there. It does not acknowledge or pay um, you know, homage, homage to my ancestors, right? Like that right. contributed to this country. It's more about the white soldiers that went to war and came back and fought for our freedoms. It's about the white soldiers that, that bled for this, this flag to yeah. preserve whiteness, right? Not, not necessarily yeah. about all people. And so, so because right. people don't see the fact that we were not considered humans, that's why their patriotism is centered around whiteness. Yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, well, like, like it's still that same ideology. Like, it's all about whiteness and what white soldiers have done for this country, right. and never about the hold, which makes me believe that there's still this uh, subconscious uh, behavior and mindset that, oh, well, y'all, y'all aren't human. Y'all aren't, yeah. y'all aren't, y'all not like us. So, and maybe that's well, a stretch, and that's 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 a stretch. I know, but 
we'll, give the, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt that it's not in current days that we're not human, but what is often inferred and Drew, Drew Brees is the perfect example of this is you're not American. You're not a true American. Like, yeah. Neither one of y'all were, were, were born when the movie came out, but when the movie Glory came out, that was huge because yeah, yeah. that story had largely been buried, yet it was yeah. there the whole time that there was yeah. a regiment of black men, whether it be free yeah. black men or enslaved black men who had fought in the Civil War and had fought valiantly. Yeah. And not even to, to to deviate from the prospect of the, the black men that fought in the Confederacy, I may <laughs> the deeper that I get into the, the study of racism and the study of race, it pushes me into the study of class. Yes. Classism. Huge. I believe that racism is the child of classism. Of classism. Yep. Yep. So if you were to look at class, you would realize that the majority of the people that fought in the Civil War were <laughs> poor white people. Um, the majority of the people that continue to fight in wars are poor white people. The military kind of promotes itself to poor communities. Yep. Black because they, and white. they don't have much value to society. So exactly. come find your value in this, which again, that, that brings up a fascinating point, but to go back to classism, like, again, like, let's think about classism, even within the African-American culture right now, that's playing itself out. You know, the Tom Sowell's of the, of the world, the exceptional Negroes that, that are literally placating this whole racial and disqualifying and dismissing yeah. things like racism. So, so classism, I love the way you said it is, it's the child uh, of racism. And we see that with tribalism, like this all yeah. stems from tribalism, which is classism in, in Spain and in Africa and all of this stuff. So yeah. uh, that's a fascinating point. Yeah. There's nothing new under the sun. If you study history in Egypt and you study history in Greece and you study history in Rome, the one thing that always happens is that great nations fall. Yeah. Well, and it's it's Can you say all it again? Of it's driven by power. Yeah, that's power. why so many folks that I interact with that are resistant, they'll jump to, well, I guess I'm a racist before I even think about uttering the phrase. <laughs> it's so true. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that they need to understand. Like You've been given a racist framework and way of thinking that is largely invisible to you. Yeah. And it doesn't make you a bad person. It mm -hmm. makes you, in essence, a pawn in a scheme that was all about power yep. and coalescing and centering power with a select few. The issue yeah. is that the people who have the power just so happen to be white. Right. So you, as a byproduct, have systematic power due to your whiteness. Right. Now, if at any point the power structure were to shift, you would see things really begin to topple and crumble. Because they, I honestly believe that if you could get enough black people in control of the media, you will see a lot of things shift. Yeah. The media is the biggest controller of perspectives 
that you will ever have. Mm-hmm. That's why they said if you want to keep something from a man, you'll put it in a book. Mm-hmm. Because true knowledge lies in literature. Yeah. True knowledge is legitimately what is inside of you. People wrote it down. Right. Yeah. And I think if you were to ever let people who have true intellectual capabilities control the media, you would then really see what people are actually made of. You wouldn't really, ha- you would actually maybe see people come together a little bit more because people who are fully intellectual understand that money is the true motivator. Everything in this world goes back to money. Right. The education never been about hate. Yeah. It just just turned into hate, which was more useful for the people who created it. I I got too excited. Let me shut up. Yeah. Yeah. But even the down here in the South, these the Confederate monuments and things like that, it's it's a reminder of the power that you once held. Power that you may have held economically, power that you may have held socially, because to be quite honest, a lot of the people that were rich pre the Civil War were very poor post the Civil War. So these monuments that became erected were erected as a semblance, as a remembrance of that power that you once held. And then you have, crazy as it is, the descendants of poor white people who couldn't have owned a slave if they tried. Um, these are the individuals who are praising these statues and upholding these statues when if you go look at the history books, rich white men didn't like poor white men neither. Oh. Yeah. Now, now, can we, can, that, that's so great. Now, let's talk about how people have intertwined power with heritage. Because, because again, I think people feel like you taking the monuments out, you're attacking their heritage and mm-hmm. their ancestors. Now, for mm-hmm. me, it's easy for me to say, hey, welcome to, now you're empathizing with me and my culture. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that, like when you're talking about being stripped of your humanity and your heritage and this connection and this bond, like, mm-hmm. but, but I, I definitely, I would love for you to talk about that, maybe from a historical perspective, but also how that's impacting people now. Yeah, so... Um... Mm, well, I know it's, it's, it's just complex. It's a, it's a difficult question. Because essentially that is what you're attacking. You, you, you're attacking what used to be a power associated with their heritage. Yes. No. You're attacking a power that is dwindling as a result of a heritage that no longer exists in that context. Mm-hmm. So when you begin to debate the Confederacy, you begin to debate like a dream it was like a dream world when everyone knew their place and everyone was comfortable in their place because we did treat those slaves good they were treated we fed them we cloaked them and if they needed discipline we disciplined them and we pulled them out of that barbaric africa and we gave them jesus and what more could they have asked for especially jesus yeah Yeah. So when you begin attacking the legacy of that system, you begin attacking them inherently without them even knowing why they're really being attacked. Because if you did not own more than 10 slaves prior to 1865, baby, you was closer to the slaves than you were the rich white people. Yeah. Yeah. There are narratives of formerly enslaved people talking about the poor white trash. Yeah, 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 yeah. Their masters put it in them to not have respect for poor white people. Mm-hmm. So again, until we look at the history of class, we're going to ever be bound by racism. Mm-hmm. This is one of the biggest jokes they could have ever pulled. Yeah. Making us hate each other because of how we look. 
Yeah, yeah. Especially, you know, 99.9% the same, right? Like we all bleed red. We all are, are, are um, wired differently, but we all have some of the same levels of desiring the same thing whether it's for our own people or, or for the common good of other people. Um, but I, I mean, Cedric and I both talked about that narrative of getting poor, you know, slaves and poor white people who were allies to help combat and, and, and liberate people, you know, through various means through slavery. But, but even now, like we can't even get people to, mm-hmm. to even see that and see the, see the fact that we are all being manipulated by, by yeah. eight men in power across the world. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, and, and to be irritated by someone attacking the legacy of the Confederacy essentially means that you are irritated that people are attacking a power that you feel you no longer hold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The issue that I have with the concept of white supremacy is that white people have always been deemed supreme and superior. This isn't an American problem. This is also a UK problem. This is an Asian problem. This is a Latin problem. This is an African problem. Wherever colonization happened, wherever colonialism took place, there is a problem with whiteness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's the part we... we, uh, And I think that's the part that hurts, right? Like, because, Mm -hmm. again, it is like when you say the term whiteness and you're a white person, it's like, ah, you're talking about me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, I, and my encouragement is just, you know, hopefully you're on the right side of history. You, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Hopefully you're, you're leveraging because, you know, Cedric and I say white privilege is not bad as what you're doing with it. Right. Like, right. Yeah. you it, can't help that you have it. Right. And it can be a tremendous good if wielded well. Yeah. That's the big now, thing. Now, I wouldn't necessarily say uh, I wouldn't necessarily try to substitute white privilege for white blessing. Sorry. So I read it, right? I was like, is he playing? Y'all serious? We're going there next week. (laughs) But but notice notice how that again plays into the power thing. Mm -hmm. What Mm -hmm. what training, what books has he read? What what Mm -hmm. anti-racism training has he taken? What what race theory has he studied? Has he has he read Robin DeAngelo? Has he read Jamar Tisby? But because his mega church is a symbol for power, then now he's an expert and should be leading the conversation. And but I, I won't I, even take it as far as saying what racism classes has he taken. You don't even need all it. In your honest mind, why do you consider it? Why do you consider the legacy of someone else's degradation to be a blessing to your life? How in what Christian moral value? I'm talking about what you know. Called it a blessing. So if I were to look at this with a modern lens, right? And look at the modern, the new slavery. And we were addressing how young white girls are getting kidnapped across America to be prostitutes in Ukraine somewhere. And if some white Ukrainian guy came back and was like, well, you know, I considered it to be a blessing that those young girls came because had it not been for their sacrifices, I wouldn't have made enough money to buy half of Ukraine and then free the next set of Ukrainian people. Like, <laughs> so, so let me, let me pause. I, I, I put the link, I put the link in our, in our chat. So try to find it. 
uh, we're, we're referencing uh, uh, Louis Giglio did an interview with Lecrae and, and Dan Cathy from Chick-fil-A. So, so again, for, for, for Louis, Lecrae's been in his church. They've done tours together. And Lecrae, it's, it's one of those things where, where white people think that black people are their best friends, but black people are like, yo, like, <laughs> I'm that check. you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like cool, man, let's keep it cordial. But, but he, he referenced white privilege and he said, let's change it to white blessing which Lecrae did do a great job. And, and, you know, I was wondering what went through his mind. Like two, two, I watched, I posted the interview. I, I watched it twice. I watched the interview. Number one, what went through his mind when he said that? And number two, what went through his mind when Dan Cathy tried to brush his shoes to clean his shoes as a sign of humility? What? No, he did not. I wasn't no. scared. No. Like, you know, I struggle with the concept of, of like fame in that regard because there is no way on God's green earth that you were going to, to, to me tell me that it was a blessing that my folks was out here picking cotton while your folks was chilling, sipping lemonade. No, no, and no again. I don't subscribe to that. <laughs> He's a strong man, and I get you trying to, because the Christian world is very fickle, um, which, yeah. which is something I've learned. Um, I follow Sarah Jakes Roberts really closely. I'm a huge, huge fan of her work. I, my, my mom is a Pentecostal preacher. I was raised Southern Pentecostal. And um, one thing that I learned from her as a young kid, when she got pregnant very young, it was like a big deal when Sarah Jakes, Roberts, Sarah Jakes got pregnant. And I saw how quickly the church kind of like turned on the preacher's daughter because of this mistake, this mistake that she made at 14. And I think it is very telling of if this can happen in the black Christian church, imagine what is happening in the white Christian church concerning race. Well, no, 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 no. White people are going to give themselves grace because it's, it's all depravity. It's human depravity. <laughs> well, we need, we need grace. Racism. If it's racism, white, please brother, just give us grace. But if it's something else, Oh, you had a kid. Oh, oh, yeah. We, we need to talk about that. You need some accountability. Oh, oh. Accountability. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, you need discipleship. <laughs> you know it's so like, true. And not to say that it's not not serious. It's tongue in cheek, mm -hmm. but but it is that double standard with a lot of things. And yeah. and and the fact that he said that, honestly, no offense uh, to my white friends, that's how a lot of people think. Uh, subconsciously, <laughs> I believe. I, I believe that subconsciously they they don't have those words, but. But they really feel like that, like, well, it's a blessing that you are here where you are and, and I am where I am, you know, um, rather than seeing that the narrative is sustained throughout the process. You know, yeah. that's the that's the missing piece. But yeah. some of that stems from, to, you know, bring it back around to like just the Confederacy and the symbols, but more importantly, the narrative that they yeah. told. Yeah, that part of that narrative, which yeah. the narrative didn't start until after the Civil War was lost. Mm -hmm. The lost cause. The lost cause. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. wanted to recast them mm -hmm. as men of nobility, mm -hmm. men of honor, mm -hmm. right? Instead of casting them as the traitors that they are. Mm -hmm. And so instead of people recognizing that the Confederacy lasted five years, mm -hmm. okay? Five years. Most T 
TV shows last more than five seasons. <laughs> okay? Mm-hmm. Like, like, Nirvana was together for more than five years. Destiny's mm-hmm. Child. Destiny's Child was together more than five years. And that seems like a... TV and Jay been together longer than five years. <laughs> right. Now, I'm going to laugh. But, yeah, it... But they've done such a masterful job of weaving a different narrative that you have people who their whole heritage, or so they think, is wrapped up in what is actually just a five-year period of rebellion. Yeah. And so, again, I kind of feel sorry for some of the folks who are yeah. now sitting here recognizing yeah. that the Confederate monuments and symbols are deeply problematic. Mm-hmm. But on one hand, they're also troubled because, and I heard one lady say it like this, I'm Southern. Like mm-hmm. that's, that's, my, that's my heritage. And I just said to her, hey, look, that's not what makes you Southern. A lot of black folks are Southern. (laughs) That is always my response to that. Because I remember when I came down here from Michigan to North Carolina and people were like, you like grits? I didn't know Northerners like grits. And I'm like, yo, most of the black families in the North migrated from the South to slavery during the... The, the 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 Southern Redemption era, aka the lynching era, aka the the yeah. start of Jim Crow, to mm-hmm. go up north and face. Listen to me, my northern friends. Mm-hmm. The unwritten Jim Crow of the North. Hell it. The unwritten rules of the North. See, the North is the North is like Major League Baseball. They got all these stupid <laughs> unwritten <laughs> rules, right? Let's keep it real. Let's keep it real. Okay, but we have to do an episode on that sometime. No, it's very true. It is a, a, a unsaid thing. I know the, one of the biggest, uh, most numerous amount of comments I get at Bill Me because Bill Me used to always. We got a lot of Northern white people that were so interested in the plantation South. I think I don't. I don't know. I think it was a big pretty house, and they were just sold. Um, but well, you know, I'm from Connecticut, and <laughs> I'm from Maine. I'm from Michigan. And even worse, I'm from Canada. And I'm like, lady, where do you think some of the Native Americans came from? Um, I just, it's just this connotation that the North were the good guys because the North fought against the Union. Again, this is the military. This is poor people who need a check. Yep. Yep. They was like, if you go fight this war, I give you this check. Right. And I think we have this this really interesting idea that we confuse patriotism with poverty. Like people are poor. They go to the military and become a patriot. Yeah. Very rarely are you born a patriot if you are also poor. Right. Because yeah. I wanted to go to the military when I was a senior in high school. Why did I want to go to the military? Because I'm from the hood. And they was talking about $35,000 and I was 18 and I was like, okay, there's more than what I got now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So again, we need to look at who the military is recruiting, why the military are recruiting them. This goes all the way back to the Civil War. Oh, yeah. yeah. Tell, tell, them, tell them about the 
New York draft riots in 1863. Oh, no, you're going to have to educate me on that one. Oh, have you ever seen yep. uh, the movie Gangs in New York with Leonardo DiCaprio? Heard of it, never seen it. Okay. For those of you watching, if you've seen it, it's, it's a, 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 I can't remember the director's name. Um, who, who who did it? He did The Departed as well, so you know it's really violent. But I've seen Departed; that was good. Right. <laughs> the end of uh, Gangs of New York depicts the the final battle scene between the you know the two main characters happening in the midst of this riot that's going on in New York. The mm-hmm. riot that they're depicting is a historical event called the Draft Riots of 1863, and what it was mm-hmm. is that the Union had started to draft more men into the Civil War. But if you were wealthy, you could buy yourself an exception out of getting drafted. If you mm-hmm. paid something like a $100 or $200 fee, you could be exempt from the draft. So all of the poor white folks in that town, because they were so upset in New York, started rioting. Mm-hmm. And in the midst of their riot, they burned down a black orphanage. Mm. Wow. Yep. Ooh, and this is a movie? I need to go watch this. Yeah, but so, see, the movie just kind of places it in the context of that event without actually telling you that that's the event. It just gives the event a historical marker if you know to look for it. Martin Scorsese? Is that what you Martin said? Martin Scorsese, yeah. Scorsese. There yeah. you go. But no. you know, that is similar to in 1862, the Confederate government passed what was known as the 20 slave law. It's the same law. If you own more than 20 slaves, you didn't have to go fight in the Civil War. Mm. I, this is the wildest thing possible. Um, so again, I believe less than 5% of the U.S. South owned 20 or more slaves, which means that the majority of the men fighting in the Civil War probably didn't even own one. Yep. Mm. So again, you have poor people fighting a rich war. Again, the issue is class that they have perpetuated race into. Yep. But until we get poor white people to understand that you are closer to us than them, we're going to continue to fight this same dumb battle about what color is your skin. Baby, look, we all broke. It don't matter. <laughs> get them. <laughs> yeah. So, so what is the role between red and blue politics? You know what I'm saying? Uh, like, what, as I... T just recently said they two wings on the same bird, so nothing much. But <laughs> yes, I think yes. at the at the start of it all, I think it was again about the money. The Democratic Party, um, the, the party of Jackson, rather, was the People's Party. It was for the farmers and the agriculture people, and then you again had the Republicans, who are again all about the money and when we originally began to vote we voted republican i don't know why uh because of lincoln because of lincoln okay i was like why did we vote republican um you guys should be grateful they flipped they freed the slaves you guys should be real grateful hey i've heard that my whole life liberia uh, yeah, and not look at Liberia today. You know, and just to touch on that, I'm struggling with Liberia. So if you look at Liberia today, they are one of the most economically challenged countries in Africa. Mm-hmm. But what do you expect if you take a bunch of people that ain't never been able to read, write, and lead a plantation, put them on a boat and drop them off on an island of uh, the country, just on a beach one day, like, and just was like, all right. 
Right. Thank you for your service. Right. <laughs> what which, what which, did you do? Right. Which the main thing in that is the not just freeing people who were once dehumanized, mm-hmm. but taking them across the ocean because we saw how quickly freed slaves here that stayed here adjusted. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. they were able to uh, ha- have basically have all the things that had been taken from them. Mm-hmm. Families, land, a home, a job. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And we said this early on. If you get at the heart of white supremacy and racism, the one thing it cannot tolerate is black excellence. Why do you think you have been trained to hate Obama so much? It ain't. Who are you? How dare you <laughs> believe that you, you, you black person? Who are you to believe that you can be who I am? Who Who are you? Because again, classism. Yes. Yeah. At least I ain't black. <laughs> And yeah. I may be broke, busted, and disgusted, but at least I can guarantee you it's probably one out of every four white people has heard that phrase at one point in their lives. At least we ain't black. Yeah. So when you have these types of nuances throughout history, and then two generations later, if you are still poor, mm-hmm. and the people that you used to be able to say, well, at least I ain't black, and they start doing this right here, how do you feel about yourself? Right, and then how does that make you feel about those people that are rising? That is the story of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Yeah, 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 and so many other towns. Because I mean, right now Tulsa is getting all the pub. But just Google, and I know we have a love hate relationship with like like, uh, Wikipedia. (laughs) It'd be alright sometimes. It'd be alright sometimes. Just Google Red Summer of nineteen nineteen. Yeah. How how many different towns, predominantly black towns or towns where there was two sides of the track, one side of that track got burned just in the year 1919 alone. Yeah. Because you had all of a sudden all of these black men who had been elevated up a notch on the classroom because they went and fought in world war one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that, that again goes back to the thing that we said way early on of, you know, Drew Brees' comments, Drew Brees' comments is indicative of so many people who mm-hmm. the narrative they've been given totally erases anyone of color ever having served in our nation's military mm-hmm. and the reason why i think drew Brees has been able to recover as quickly as he has is because the response that he got was from his teammates and his peers who said my father served in the military my grandfather served in the military and he for the first time had been told something that mm-hmm. he should have known, mm-hmm. but has been withheld from the the, the history books. So I always well, believe that if black people stop fighting in the military, that you would get some real change in effect. Mm-hmm. Um, if all of the minorities, mm-hmm. not even just the black people, if all of the minority populations just stopped 
if honestly, if all the poor people just stopped one day, you would get some some change. You would see some some real change happen in these streets. Um, it's, if I think when you look at the history of America and, and, and these wars and how people came back and still fought the same, you had you fighting a war overseas, you fighting a war in America. Um, the movie about Muhammad Ali that Will Smith did. Yes. He said it perfectly. And I don't think this is Muhammad's official quote, but he said something to the effect of you, my opposer, when I want justice, you, my opposer, when I want peace, I ain't got no problem with the Viet Cong. Viet Cong ain't did nothing to me. Yeah. But I can't even get you to fight for my justice right here. And you want me to go over there and fight for you. How does that work? If we were in grade school right now, yeah. then big John was picking on little John but Big John found a bigger John. What right does Big John have to go tell Lil John to go fight Bigger John? Yeah. Well, you was just beating me up yesterday, but now you need a friend. How did it work? <laughs> yeah. That sounds like clan mentality to me. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, like this sounds bad. Like America, especially white America, it, it only knows how to respond with violence. It doesn't, mm-hmm. it doesn't know the language of peace. It doesn't know the language of really uh, working together and compromising and, and really being a team player. Yeah. It only, it only knows the, the language of dominance, colonization, vengeance, and revenge. And but so, that's human nature, though. Um, I, war goes back as far as people do. Yeah, I, I, w- I, would, I would agree. I would totally agree. I, I think for me, I, I'm looking at it from the fact like in, in, the, in the sense of take racism, a lot mm-hmm. of my white friends are afraid that we will do to them what they've done to us. Revenge. Yes. Yes. And so that's that's where that statement's coming from, because, I, again, I, I we don't want re- revenge. We, we just want equality. Dignity. <laughs> you know yeah, but like, somebody we, said, though, imagine if black people wanted revenge instead of equality. Right. And, 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 and we with our 13 percent makeup of this country, we could probably do it and be extremely effective. Mm-hmm. Because we've learned your ways, but you don't <laughs> fully know our ways. <laughs> we yeah, know. you know. But to your point, again, I got sent an invitation today to join a a a, 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 a moment of prayer across the nation, and the invitation was for a prayer for America to return back to its Christian roots. And this oh. is what I'm just like, Decline. But actually, America ain't got no Christian roots because the na- this the Native American. Okay, I'm gonna be quiet. I'm, I'm no, no. But you're going right where I'm going, and it's again, it's it's the it's that ability to totally create this divide in the two stories that you've learned and never bring them together to say, now wait a minute, that don't make no sense. Mm-hmm. If Columbus came here and under the 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 edict of the Papal Bull Statement of 1452. Yeah, and he arrives here 40 years later and does exactly what the Papal Bull Statement of 1452 told him to do: to reduce whoever you find that isn't Christian to perpetual slavery or wipe them out. Right. Well, then. Considering that the Papal Bull statement came from the church, yeah, it's a Christian nation. 
But if it's based upon the kind of Christian virtues and morals that I know they're speaking to, you couldn't be more wrong. I got the the perfect analogy. So if you ever seen Frozen, right? (laughs) Go with me. So the sisters, Elsa has some special powers, right? Uh But when the sisters were smaller, uh, the you know, Elsa created this uh, this imaginary friend called Olaf, right? Like the snowman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as they grow up, Elsa creates a real life Olaf. So what America has done is taken something imaginary and playful and this 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 myth and made it and like they're in this fantasy land of like, well, no, Olaf's Olaf is real. Mm-hmm. There ain't no way a snowman walking around in the summertime that's real. You know what I'm saying? Like that's the kind of the the takes, the, the, takes some real good magic. Yeah, you get you get what I'm saying. Some I mean, black magic. Yeah, you, you know what I'm saying. You get what I'm saying. It's a, it's a tongue in cheek reference. Right, right, like, right, 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 right. I was like, yeah, like think about this Disney fantasized like reality that's created. Like all things are possible, yeah. and right. but like, yeah. but that's that's the state of a, a lot of people. Right. Is I just want to live in Disney. Where, where dreams come true. But if you've always lived in Disney, you know, I, Disney was nice. I realized Disney wasn't real at five. Um, but I feel like that, that first four, four years was, was pretty dope. Um, and I can't imagine being able to live in Disney for 28 years. You know, I would want to leave either. But the, the, I think the issue is that their existence in many cases is so comfortable. Imagine how comfortable it must be to have to spend your whole life and only be aware of you and people that look like you. Imagine how comfortable it must really be to wake up every day and the only issue that you really got might be just your finances. Walking outside is not an issue for you. Going to the store ain't an issue for you. The police get behind you. You might even cuss the police out. Imagine how peaceful it must be for the police to get behind you and you could turn around and say, hey, you jerk. Why'd you pull but, me over? You know, some of the stuff that I've seen white people be able to do to the police, I'm like, I, I would dead. never. Hang on, hang on. According to Candace Owens, a reliable source, we all have that freedom. Shoot me now. Yeah, um, but we don't all suffer the same consequences. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I it, struggle it, with that young woman. Well, yeah, we, we all don't even go down that road, really. We, and, yeah. I try to sit in the middle, right? I really try to see everybody's side of the story. And I watched her on the Revolt Summit. And she made a few points that I was like, okay, I'm going to give you that. When she she dropped Thomas Sowell's name. And I'm one of the people, I'm going to go do the research. I went and researched Thomas Sowell. And there was a couple other people that Killer Mike also subscribed to. And I went and looked and... If I wanted to subscribe to black classism, yes, yes, I would be on board. Yes. If I, I mean, and don't get me wrong. It's the American dream. Everybody want to be rich. I would love to be rich. Oh God. What, what must it feel like to not have a financial woe? But in lieu of the fact that for me, how, just how economics works for me to get rich, somebody has to stay poor. Yeah. 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 
the issue is that I don't want anybody to have to be poor because I know what being poor feels like. Yeah. I know what it does to you. I know how it distorts you and your self-image and your sense of self-worth, your self-esteem. Being There is nothing okay with being poor. I don't care if you white, if you black, if you Asian. It's nothing okay with not being able to feed yourself and not being able to go to school with new clothes on and wondering if you're going to be able to spend a night at your friend house because your lights ain't on. There's nothing okay with being poor. And and that's that's what bothers me is that black people who made it made it up so high that they began looking down at the people who didn't make it and say, well, sucks for you. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 It's expensive to be poor. Uh, It's expensive to be poor. Look, and, and, and the fact if I wanted to be rich, I would have became Candace Owens before Candace Owens became Candace Overs because she making bank. Telling she is making bank. Right? But she probably can't go to sleep at night. I would love to sit down and have a conversation with her with a bottle of wine, just me and her. I would love to meet Candace Owens. I think that we would have a riveting conversation because, baby, you're going to have to go and keep it all the way real with me. We're not finna... <laughs> yes, please tell me about that time you sued the public school system that you went to for $37,500 because they did not defend you from racist attacks. But now you're saying racism isn't a thing and never has been? It's crazy what money will do. You know, the Bible does say that for the love of money right. is the root of all evil. People right. get that real confused. They think money is the root. No, money is the tool. The right. intention behind how you got the money is where the evil lies. It's the things that you will do for the money. It is it is it is nine sixteen and we just rolling, but we haven't right. really addressed what they go with the Confederate monuments and symbols. So I'm gonna pass it to our guests first for your perspective. And I just want to remind everybody who's listening, black people are not a monolith. We have not talked about this beforehand, so I have no idea whether or not all of us are on the exact same page. All righty. Um, no, so the historian in me wants every one of the monuments to come down and go into a museum that is dedicated to their history. If I want to know more about Confederate monuments, I want to have to go to a Confederate museum. I don't want to be walking my child through the park and him having to say, well, mommy, who's that? Oh, that's Nathan Bedford Forrest. Who is Nathan Bedford Forrest? Well, he was this man that used to sell people on a block that looked like us. When I'm ready for my child to know that information, I want to have the same ability to censor my child as most white people do when Mm. it comes to black history. Mm. I want to be able to pick when my child learns about the Confederacy. Mm. I want to be able to pick when my child learns about racism. Mm. It's a, it must be a cozy place to live. Mm. So, yeah, they should definitely come down. But they need to go into a space that is dedicated to that and that only. Mm. It's an issue with me that your history can sit up proudly and make you veer with comfort. And I look at your monument and have to almost remember that my ancestors didn't choose to be in the position that they were in. Mm. The fact that you have black people out here that are halfway ashamed of their heritage should tell you that something ain't right about how we have interpreted this history. Yep. Yep. Uh, 
I can't say it any better. Like that is the essence of exactly what I think and, and, and how I feel. And, and, because again, like, I don't think we should just dismantle and wash away right. history. Right. Like it, it is a part of like, like I, right. my growing up and upbringing in poverty or whatever. Uh, and honestly, I didn't re- realize I was poor until I got around rich people that told me I was poor. So, 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 <laughs> Right. Or mission trips in my hood or whatever. Um, but it is a way for us to remember uh, where we've come from. And honestly, hopefully it can be a marker of where we have made right. progress. My, my issue is that it still represents the fact that we've not made much progress outside yeah. of just chattel slavery. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and, and I would honestly argue that systemic oppression and the emotional uh, trauma that comes from what we have to deal with. Um, I'm not going to put it on the same level. I'm just going to say it's different, but I feel the weight of it. If that makes sense, because you're talking about, about hundreds of years where really black people didn't quote unquote, get free till post Jim Crow civil rights. And and during this time, there was no mental uh, assistance in mental trauma. Like there was no assistance in how to assimilate, how to be fathers, how to manage money, how to survive, how to um, uh, we know how to farm. But how do we run a farm? You know, there's. well, I'm going to stop you there. We were running the farm. Nobody had to teach us how to run the farm. I'm saying from the the business economic perspective. But we were doing it. In a lot of cases, we were doing it. And the fact that by 1900, within the same lifetime of those people, they and their children were doing it, that's why those places got burned so that we can continue to try to believe that we didn't have the capability. Like the whole reason they had us in the South is because we were more familiar with how to grow stuff from that hemisphere than they were that is true that is true but i think when you do disenfranchise a people educationally basic reading writing and arithmetic the three r's back then um if you if you if you mentally break a people to the point where they don't even think they can attain knowledge you you could run a farm almost subconsciously because yeah. this is inherent in your culture like yeah. you you could just do this now when you start taking away people's ability to really um cognitively understand the economics behind running a farm then you just got somebody that know when and how to plant mm-hmm Mm-hmm. But can I handle the rations? Do I know understand inventory? Yeah, I do. But I've have I I've never applied it in this way. For example, you got dope boys and hoods across America. Oh, phenomenal businessmen. Phenomenal businessmen have built empire. Never taken a business class in their life. But if you took the same businessmen and put them on Wall Street, they would. And many of them, they would fail simply because they don't think that this applies to this. It's the same knowledge, baby. It's the same knowledge. Just go use it over here. But see, that's the thing. When you've never seen it, you you, you can't imagine it in many cases. Do you know how superb you have to be to be sitting in nothing and in your mind know that you are something? Yeah. You know how many people cannot do that? Yeah. Mm. Because if five 
five generations, for five generations, people have told you that you cannot, you will not, you cannot, you will not. Eventually, you're going to start to believe it. Mm-hmm. Until you get one person. There's always one person, the cycle breaker. One generation, someone is going to come up and say, nah, forget that. I got me twisted. <laughs> yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah, Lee, that was so good. Yeah. The world that we live. My my feeling on the Confederate monuments and symbols. In 2004, I went on a cross-cultural with my college. And primarily, we spent time in Germany and France. And during that time in Germany, we went to see a Holocaust memorial that was actually a... Um, former concentration camp in Dachau, Germany. Not one inch of that ground was dedicated to a monument for the people that ran the concentration camp. You will not find a single Nazi monument on those grounds. And yet that concentration camp still stands today so that people can remember their history so that they do not repeat their history. So when we say remove the Confederate monuments, we are not saying remove and erase the history because that history does need to remain. The problem is, is we don't teach it in our history textbooks. Yeah. Yeah. So if... If the Third Reich was is seen properly the way it is, and we have these places of remembrance that don't glorify, and that's the problem with the monuments. They glorify what these men did by not telling the whole truth. Yep. And yep. what they stood for. And so I even have people ask, well, what about, and this is where I would distinguish between Confederate monuments and people who were just slaveholders. Because the Confederates have a different place in my mind in history where they were traitors to America. I get you. I'm following. Mm -hmm. Right? So we need to tell the truth about Lincoln and Thomas Jefferson. I said it last week and I'll say it again. You are measuring by influence. There is no one even remotely close to being as much of a racist as Thomas Jefferson. It's not even debatable. Not they hate to hear it. Oh, they hate to hear it. His book, The Notes on Virginia, was the second highest selling book next to the Bible by the time he died. Mm. Wow. I didn't even know that. Yes. Uh, stand from the beginning, uh, Ibram Kendi. He 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 mentions that. But wow. yeah, and so I, you know, we can leave the 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 the, the, the um, Mount Rushmore. We can leave it be. Just get rid of the monuments. Yeah. Put them in a museum, like you said. Yeah. Where people can go and, and let the sons of Confederate veterans run it. Let the daughters of the Confederate let them run it. Let them run let, it. This their history. Let them run it. If they want right. to keep getting, let them do what they do. Right. And 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 yeah. And I still, they should build it. Matter of fact, they need to go be. Why they trying to keep all? Go build y'all a museum. Right. And I put y'all. Trying to go to wall. Why y'all, y'all trying, trying to, to get a ball? <laughs> <laughs> but even the, that, it looks like, like we might be trying to get up into Mexico in a minute. Like, look, I, I feel sorry for them. They're putting their entire identity in five years. Five yeah. years. 
that's one more year than we spend in college if we actually do college right. You know, I took took me five and a half years over the course of eight years to finish college, but I mean, you give it a point. Five. I had a lot of fun in one year, but I mean, yeah, <laughs> no, I feel you. And while we're at it, let me just throw this in. While we're at it, can we please rename the NFL team from our nation's capital from being a racial slur for crying yeah. out loud? Can we get yeah. that done? Yeah, if we're going to be culturally competent, you got to be culturally culturally competent across the board. You can't pick and choose what you're going to be competent about. Listen, listen. Before we do that, we need to just hire Kaepernick. If we don't hire Kaepernick, we ain't, we ain't changing that, we ain't changing I, that name. I, 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 I want it to be both. You know what would be real gangster? He gets signed by the team in Washington, and they change their nickname on the same day. I ain't got that much hope, bro. I ain't got that much hope neither, but it sound real good, though. <laughs> That's the ultimate play for the, the NFL. Right. No, I do think, feel like Colin Kaepernick, I think he needs a public apology. Public. And a job. Your apology needs yeah. to be just as loud as your disrespect. You will not disrespect me publicly and privately make up for it. I don't subscribe to that. Yes. And, and he should be paid his rate, his yearly rate that he was at before he was blackballed. Did, did, he already, did, did he already get us? They split, they split $40 million. No, they split $40 million, So he only probably because he was. A lot of people forget who the people who always try to say, oh, he was a trash quarterback. He was the highest paid quarterback for a minute. Like, you, yeah. don't, you don't get the, the most money, more money, mind you, than Tom Brady or Peyton Manning at the time yeah. if you yeah. trash. Right. Yeah. So. Man, now the statues need to come down. They need to go somewhere that is for them. Racism is still wrong. Um, I'm trying to give us a quick recap here. Uh, yeah, racism is wrong again. And the church needs to understand that uh, it's not a blessing that you and your ancestors may have owned slaves. It's not, it's not a blessing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, we're right at, right at time, so... Uh, any any closing thoughts or or anything? I I I'm, I feel so liberated by this conversation because I know, this is amazing. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun, and, and I finished my wine too soon. <laughs> <laughs> well, this for me is great to have different perspective. Um, again, we came into it kind of. I know I came in blind. I didn't know you. I was like, okay, cool, let's do it. You know, I'm 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 up for it. Um, so I know I hope it was helpful for people, and I know it was helpful for me to. Um, know that there are other people like me that look like me that feel the same thing, but that are still committed to the work. Um, still patient, still gracious with people, and, and being you know being in this game for the long haul. So, and I think that's the that's the purpose. So, yeah. any any closing thoughts from y'all? No, be a good person, man. And if you ain't never talked to a black person, go find you a nice one and ask them real questions. Don't be funny. Like <laughs> don't, don't, yeah, don't go find the candies. You need to find you somebody perfectly got like some braids or something, a couple tattoos, some piercings. We gotta look, you know. Um, you can usually look and tell who grew who not. Find you one of them. The and ones you will probably be scared of. Yeah. 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 In other I words, we are giving you a little bit of permission to be slightly prejudiced to find the right black person. Hey, <laughs> because I say all the time, wealthy and well to do white people love to send their kids over to Italy and Africa to pet poor people and foreign exchange. 
You don't have to go across the world to foreign exchange. You can foreign exchange at the neighborhood in your city that you keep telling your child don't go to. You can just transfer your child for a semester and send them to the public school. And I guarantee you, if your child is from Bellmead and they start going to school in North Nashville, that will be a foreign exchange. If your child is from Arlington, Tennessee, and you send them to South Memphis to go to school, that is a foreign exchange. Go learn about somebody other than yourself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, to your point, I I think I'll go with that as a final word, because I think we're pretty pretty demonstrative on the, not demonstrative is not the word, right word, but we were pretty clear on the whole monument question. Let's stop honoring those who are traitors to this nation. If, if you call yourself a patriot, you, you, you can't be a patriot and honor people who try to destroy the union at the same time. Yeah. yeah. Say, it, say it again. Say it again. I need to hear that one again. You cannot be a patriot and put your heritage and identity in people who try to tear this country apart at the same time. It is absolutely illogical. Yeah. Like, so true. Let's get beyond just even, right, the, the reasons and motivations for the Civil War, because, like, there's this whole thing called this, the Statements of Secession, where if you try to deny it's not about slavery, then you, you're not calling us a liar. You're calling them a liar. Get up and shout right now. I'm talking about could just dance right on across this flow. <laughs> right? But let's forget all that. Their aim, their aim, Jefferson Davis's aim, Stonewall Jackson's aim was to yes. ride with the cavalry into DC and take Lincoln out. That was their aim. You cannot sit there and say, we're the party of Lincoln. But then also be like Confederate flag, waving the flag for the people who were set out to kill Lincoln and, by the way, did it. Mm. Mm. You, you can't play both sides. Both sides. <laughs> right? I hate to hear it. I, I wouldn't agree with you. I can't agree with you more. But right. yes, yes. But, you know, again, not to belabor the point. I look the the all right, you know what I've been lost trying to train a thought. Right, what I said was good. We good. This has been awesome. We gotta do this again. I'm pretty sure like something else will pop up on the news soon and we'll have more than enough content. So <laughs> probably tomorrow. <laughs> like we said, we never short on content. The world just keeps giving it. And look, yeah. believe me you, I wish we had less to talk about. I yeah. really do. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah there, it would be nice to know that Token Confessions actually has a shelf life on the real. Yeah, that we yeah. to other things. We don't do this to rant, to be mad, to be angry. Because what does that solve? I I don't subscribe to being right. angry. But in a lot of a lot of people know this. But a lot of the reason why we did this is because our white friends said, y'all need to do this because I'm learning from what you are saying. That you dared to wade into the deep waters of our honesty and our experiences and you didn't cower in fear. You didn't resort to what about isms. You sat in it. 
Yeah. Not uncomfortable and realize that us being for us is also us being for you. Right. 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 Yeah. And understanding yeah. that again, if you are not part of the one percent, you are closer to me than you are closer to them. So you continually subscribe into this ideal of your whiteness making you better than me, baby. Look, if we both in line at the food stamp office, then what difference do your color make? So it's, it's just so, it's so many things that go into why racism is stupid inherently. Um, <laughs> Cause I don't even, I don't even have the mental capacity right now to find a big word to inject there, but it's, it's, it's stupid. It is yeah. stupid. And, and we have to understand that we, we will never make it that way. Yeah. Um, and, and black people have a right to be angry right now. Um, I, I don't, when I say that, what does it solve? It doesn't solve anything for you inherently. Like, it's not going to make you feel better to get angry. But if anybody got a right to be pissed off at this country, it's black people and Native American people yep. and the Japanese. Yep. Yeah. And I think that's it. Right. Because, like, I said this once to a lady who's originally from Costa Rica. I, I, I asked her, what's her opinion on this statement? What's the difference between a Native American and a Mesoamerican? The answer is an imaginary line that colonists drew. She literally cried because she's was like, yes, like Native Americans and mm -hmm. South Americans are connected. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. This was all their land. Right. I wonder how they feel when we have an immigration conversation. I bet they somewhere like I wish they would all go home. <laughs> right, right, right. So, uh, so, uh, so, Bridget, how do how do people stay in touch with you, your work, um, and just follow you on Facebook, social media, whatever? Yes, I am on Facebook. My name is Bridget Janae Jones. I am on there with my full guy given name. Yes, um, mm -hmm. on Instagram, I am Ada Bow. That is A D A underscore B O W. Don't ask me what that means. It's a college phrase, and I will not rehash it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and on Twitter, I am the Truth Teller. D A Truth Teller underscore. Yeah, perfect. I also want to know how they can support your work. Yeah. Um, I have a historical consulting firm where I do these types of things. Um, I do diversity and inclusion training. I do, um, lectures, talks, I write. Um, so shoot me a message, uh, shoot me an email, Bridget Jones 60 at yahoo.com. And I'd love to work, support me any way you can. And I'm, I'm happy to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the beautiful things. Like we really try to elevate the work. Um, and again, I believe that it is important for our work to be a uh, resource uh, so we can continue to do this and honestly pay for the counseling that we need in doing this. Uh, so right, you need so, a therapist. Right. So, so, you know, you can support us through Patreon. We have a lot of Patreons that have subscribed. And again, that's a part of your equity. That's you putting skin in the game. So yeah. uh, there's a link here. Follow us. And yeah. Oh, also, if you're still new to this and don't believe racism is real, Hop off here and just go look at my Facebook post right now. <laughs> we'll see y'all later. <laughs> Ooh, Industry. Cedric, you got industry. All right. <laughs> oh.